Hello everyone, this is Strati Papa Giorgio and Father Michael Tischel. And we are an imperfect, an imperfect podcast. podcast. Praise him with a sound of trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. As the Lord went to his voluntary Hello everybody, we're back. Um, how are you, Father Michael? I'm doing well, Strati. I'm doing well. How's your uh, holy, holy week going? It's uh, it's been an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a combination of entering into the beauty of this uh, time, and especially of following the life and and passion, and ultimately uh, death and resurrection of Christ, um, while also being sort of pulled by certain petty cares and problems and things like that and uh, so sure. it's an interesting uh, uh, that's how it is yeah you know life life yeah lifetime um, holy week so we we decided we should have something for this week uh you know and uh today it's just us uh, father panayoti is not with us and um i think father michael you have something uh you brought something to the table. I did, literally. Yes, I have something <laughs> that is uh, sitting on the table. This table, and uh, that's great. Um, so yes, Strati, thank you. Um, I was taking a look at the wonderful uh, book by Father Alexander Schmemann uh, entitled "Great Lent," and uh, in it he explores the various um, themes for each of the Sundays of Lent and preceding Lent, and then kind of goes into uh, it's just some general reflections about the Lenten journey as a whole. Um, and in it, he, he explores this very interesting dynamic, which I think is particularly relevant for our time during Great Lent. Can you give us a little background on who he is? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, Father Alexander Schmemann was uh, a very well-known and prominent theologian of the uh, 20th century. He came originally from Russia and uh, was one of the uh, Russian emigres that passed through uh, France. He lived in France for his childhood um, and ended up uh, going to the uh, St. Serge um, Theological uh, Academy there, well-known academy, and uh, eventually made it uh, over to America where he became a professor and later uh, dean of uh, St. Vladimir's uh, Theological Seminary in Crestwood, New York. Um, and Father Alexander Schmemann is well known throughout the Orthodox world, but also just the Christian world in general, um, for his liturgical theology. He was a, a liturgical theologian. Um, in particular, he's very well known for his book, uh, For the Life of the World, uh, which explores uh, the Eucharist. Uh, but he's written numerous other volumes and articles and chapters um, and sort of had a beautiful um, balance in his theology between you know his his depth and breadth of knowledge of academic theology but also his desire to really take that theory and that knowledge um, and allow it to become real through a very full liturgical life and so I think you know it was said that he never missed a Sunday liturgy serving a Sunday liturgy during his priesthood um, and had a really 
kind of rich understanding of, of the liturgical life. Um, and you, that comes out very much so in this little reflection on Great Lent, because it's all about kind of plugging into that right. worship experience. Right. So yeah, so that's Father Alexander Schmemann. And um, basically, this uh, little piece that I was um, reading has to do with the topic of memory. Memory, both on a natural level, as far as our own memory as human beings and what that looks like, but then also... Um, liturgical memory and he draws this kind of distinction between this kind of natural memory and liturgical memory and I thought in particular for Holy Week as we enter into this yeah. contemplation of and um, really uh, entrance into uh, the life and the passion of Christ uh, that this topic of memory might be something worthy of our exploration. Sounds good. So I'll just read maybe a few sentences from this little um, section and, uh, and see where it takes us. Sure. Natural memory, <clears throat> says Father Schmemann, is first of all a, quote, presence of the absent, end quote, so that the more he whom we remember is present, the more acute is the pain of his absence. So that's his sort of definition of natural memory. In other words, if I'm, you know, an immigrant and my family is overseas and I... Uh, I'm thinking about them and I'm remembering them, that recollection of them <clears throat> sort of has a, is a double-edged sword. It brings the, the, the memory of these beloved people to mind, so it's good that I'm remembering them. But at the same time, it, it sort of exacerbates our distance and the absence right. um, of them from my life, and it, there's this pain. Um, and so that's sort of natural memory. But... Um, Father Schmemann goes on to say that in Christ, memory has become again the power to fill the time broken by sin and death, by hatred and forgetfulness. And it is this new memory as power over time and its brokenness, which is at the heart of the liturgical celebration of, the, of what he calls the liturgical today. Hmm. And we hear that phrase, simeron, or today, um, is fulfilled, blah, blah, blah. Today, um, we stand at the cross. There are so many different references within uh, the hymns, the hymns uh, of this today. And so this liturgical today, he says, is neither, is neither a mere intellectual contemplation right. of you know, the presentness of uh, these past events, nor is it merely a sentimental contemplation. But he says there's something real that occurs in, in, in bringing the actual event yeah. into our, our present experience. There's no doubt that every year, you know, it's like whether you're, I don't know, whether you're really trying to immerse yourself or not attending the services of Holy Week without, without you even trying to transport you. Right. And they transcend what you're saying. Right. Yeah, it transcends time. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So this natural memory versus this uh, memory in Christ. Mm -hmm. Natural memory sort of giving us the, the sweetness of the image of our loved ones, but also the pain of their absence. Mm -hmm. Whereas memory in Christ and memory of Christ um, actually not giving us the pain of the absence, but actually bringing the presence of Christ mystically mm -hmm. through the Holy Spirit into mm -hmm. 
our beings. That's very nice. Um, I like that. And that's that's powerful. It's powerful that that remembering Christ is not only again, as he mentioned, an intellectual exercise or a sentimental right. exercise, but it actually unites us. It allows us to commune with Christ um, in a in a real way. And um, maybe I could just continue briefly to to read. Um, his, his reflection on Holy Week in particular in, particular in relation to this topic of, sure. of memory, where he says, Finally, during this last week of preparation, the celebration of the mystery begins. Lenten effort has made us capable of putting aside all that which usually and consistently obscures the central object of our faith, hope, and joy. Time itself comes, as it were, to an end. It is measured not now not by our usual preoccupations and cares, but by what happens on the way to Bethany and beyond to Jerusalem. And once more, all this is not rhetoric. To anyone who has tasted, as you were saying, Strati, to anyone who has tasted of the true liturgical life, be it only once and however imperfectly, it is almost self-evident that from the moment we hear, Rejoice, O Bethany, home of Lazarus, and then... On the morrow, Christ is coming. The external world becomes slightly unreal. And one almost experiences pain in entering into the necessary daily contact with it, meaning the external world. Reality, quote unquote, is that which is going on in the church. In that celebration, which day after day makes us realize what it means to expect and why Christianity is above everything else, expectation, and preparation. Thus, when that Friday evening comes and we sing, having completed the edifying 40 days, we have not only fulfilled an annual Christian obligation, quote unquote, we are ready to make ours the words which we will sing on the next day, meaning the Saturday of Lazarus that just came uh, a few days ago, quote, in Lazarus, Christ is already destroying thee, O death, and where, O hell, is thy victory? So this uh, notion of, of liturgical memory as bringing in the reality, the actual events of our Lord's life and passion and death and resurrection into our lives uh, that is accessible through the services um, and that reality, as it were, uh, is more about what's happening in the church and less about the everyday kind of mundane things that are pulling us away from all of that. I think, yeah. I mean, I think um, it, it, when I listen to the Gospels being read during the during these days, I don't know, there's something so much more... It, it's like it, it's like it transcends and, and mystifies... Not mystifies, but it mystically transcends the, at, the, the atmosphere. In other words, 
we hear the gospel reading throughout the year, but there's something special about these gospel readings specifically. Mm-hmm. Not to say the other ones, but something about it where he, you know, he's calling out the Pharisees, you know, and then, and then, um, and then one of my favorite sort of uh, things that that is said, and it's repeated, I think, a few times during this week, um, where Christ does something in the text, I mean, he starts, he does something very, very interesting. He's talking, I mean, he's a, he's a human being, you know, everybody's seeing him speak, you know, he looks like them, (laughs) or all, you know, he is like them, but then suddenly as he's speaking against the Pharisees, he starts, it's almost like a fourth wall breaking. You know when the when you're watching the movie and they turn around and they look at you mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they start talking to you because mm-hmm. they're aware that they're in a movie. Mm-hmm. He, he almost does something like that where he where he then he then starts saying, "I sent you prophets, mm. and you you know you you, you killed them." I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that year after year has always given me the chills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because it's like. Oh, he just, oh, he just, you know, God the Father does. <laughs> you know, right. he just, he just, without, almost like instinctually just saying, I'm God, guys. Mm-hmm. Without saying I'm God. Sure. I sent you prophets. And for those who don't know, most of the prophets, I don't know if all of them, were killed mm-hmm. by the Jews. Sure. For one reason or another. And and here he is, a normal man, now suddenly, and Everything he's he's not a babbling lunatic. Everything he's saying is coherent, right. spot on. He's making complete sense to the point where they want to kill him, <laughs> you know. And and uh, and uh, and and he's without. Th- I'm sure he's. I mean, you know what I mean. Like like when I do something that's second nature, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. That's what he does in that moment. Mm-hmm. He says. He switches from being a man to suddenly being the pre-eternal God who sent the prophets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That then these people who he's talking to, their ancestors killed. Mm. And that's, for me, that, that's how we're transcending. We're listening to this and we're listening to the actual text tra- in a, referring to tra- the transcendence of time. Sure. You know, if yeah. that made any sense. No, I, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Every year I, remark, I marvel at those words. Yeah. Yeah, that that is fascinating. The the kind of relay back and forth of the message from God outside of time and space, and then God within time and space mm-hmm. and in in the flesh, right? Um, in in the both divinely, divine, perfectly divinely and and humanly uh, person right. that he is. So yeah. it's a uh, it's a powerful powerful experience, um, and I think we we are always faced with the um, limits and the constraints of human nature and in particular our own fallen human nature in this week you know when we sort of are fighting against or emerging out of our you know our kind of fallen humanity um, in various ways we could be frustrated about something or irritable about something um, but also sort of becoming aware of this this greater reality um that is both in the the life of jesus christ as a human and also his life as 
he who is God before all time. Right. Um, and uh, all of those things happening at once. Um, yeah. But, you know, more and more we're, we're kind of drawn into and right. taken into this, this Precisely. And divine I think reality. That's what this week, one of the things that it does, it really, they, they, it really draws you in and you become like, I, I don't know, maybe I trained myself to do this or maybe, I don't know. But when I'm listening to it, I, I almost want to picture it, the scene, almost, mm -hmm. you know. Not like they do in the movies. <laughs> but, you know, I almost want to see him sitting there, you know, pretty much, not pretty much, calling out the abuses of the people who are in charge. Mm -hmm. Pretty much saying to them, kill me, mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. you know, he's, I mean, he, he knew that, that, would, that they wouldn't like that. Right. And, and it just, it becomes real. Mm -hmm. It becomes very real. Yeah. And, it, and, and plausible. Mm -hmm. And, and, I'm, and I, I say plausible because, you know, how so many people don't believe mm -hmm. in any of this. Sure. But, you know, when I was in, when I was in Cyprus, I was, this friend of mine, uh, he was Romanian. Um, we worked together. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's a, not, you know, probably not a very religious person. You know, he'll wedding, baptisms, that kind of person. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he looked at me and he goes, oh, oh do people even believe that stuff anymore? And and I kind of and I told him, you know, the gospels are accounts. Mm -hmm. They're not mythological stories uh, in the in the way that the Greek right uh, stories were about Zeus and Hera and whatever. They're eyewitness accounts. So. Our faith is our, our the foundation of, of our faith is not based on um, fables and things. It's, right. it's about what these people saw. Take it as you you know, take yeah. it however you want. But that's what they claim they saw, and I think that's very different than many other religions. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it is. And and but, and here's the here's the crucial one crucial question in relation to that is how how do we know how how are we assured of the truthfulness of these accounts right. and I think you know I mean there's a lot that emerges usually every Easter time or every Christmas in uh, you know on the History Channel or in other kind of relatively speaking ta tabloids yeah. um, you know in in uh, our kind of popular culture that essentially um, tries to debunk the oh, yeah. the reality or the the kind of factual um, veracity of of the uh, gospel accounts and then, you know, you have the responses from certain Protestant or Catholic or sometimes Orthodox um, Christian theologians. If the, if the Orthodox respond, nobody notices. <laughs> right. <laughs> on, a, on a few kind of limited... Uh, but uh, the other ones, you know, they're on Fox and exactly. CNN. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and oftentimes it's based on, you know, the fact that maybe there are what they call extra scriptural accounts or references to Christ. And, um, you know, it's based on kind of historical or scientific analysis and all those things are well and good there's nothing wrong with them per se but i think going back to our, our original theme of memory and, and in particular of the kind of liturgical space in which we um, abide during this week i think there's something to be said for worship yeah as a means to um, encounter that assurance mm -hmm. the assurance of that reality and yeah. Uh, I know that's kind of a hard thing maybe to wrap our minds around 
um, but it's the kind of thing where the proof is in the pudding. In other words, if I if I try, if I attempt even a little bit to open myself up to this formative practice of of putting myself into the liturgical time and space, you could say, of the services, especially on Holy Week. I think there's a sense in which I slowly but surely become infected, to put it, you know, some way, you know, infected in a good way sure. by, or infused perhaps, by the the assurance of the, the reality of these events, yeah. um, both in a historical way, um, but also in a kind of um, way that transcends time and space and transcends history and that allows me to experience them at the kind of taste of them here and now. Right. And, um, you know, I think in some ways we feel and we sense and we experience the plausibility of these events. You know, in other words, that these events could potentially take place. Um, but, um, you know, in some ways it's it's more than plausibility. It's uh, kind of an assurance that um, this is sort of at the core of everything, at the core of our very existence, these events. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of mark something very deep and very profound in our um, realities as, yeah. as human beings. And part of that, I think, has to do with leaving the fragmented and dispersed realities of our kind of superficial lives and going deeper. And when we go deeper, we're sort of brought into this more integrated reality, this more unified sense yeah. of, of the truth of, of uh our lives and of our faith. Yeah. Um, There's more to life than just yeah, surface waking level up, waking stuff. Waking up, eating, going right. to work, or drinking coffee, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So somehow, you know, we're we become assured of the yeah. truthfulness of these events, right? Both on a historical, but also on Ex- sort of an existential and or experiential. experiential. Right. Yeah, I think that that's what we're kind of getting to here. That going. To hold the, the being at these services is an experience, right? And uh, without going to them, you're missing out on the experience. Yeah, and they've and, and they're yeah, they're all about experiencing it mystically. So <laughs> so in conclusion, go to Holy, Holy Week, Week services. services. <laughs> <laughs> no shaming. No. Even the night of Saint. Jo- I don't know why we're looking at the microphone when we say this. We're like pointing at the microphone as if, um, even Saint John Chrysostom at the end of at the the the, the final sermon, the sermon of Easter that we everybody repeats. Yes. Those who have fasted and those who have not fasted, you know, rejoice in the resurrection. But having said that, we go, still have go to Holy Week services. Still have an opportunity. It's good for you. It is. It's good for you. You'll if you're not doing them. it, start going. You'll enjoy them. <laughs> Dig in a little bit. Allow yourself to calm down a little yeah. bit. Disconnect from the, the busyness and right. the stresses of everyday life. Yeah. Just like gentle waves lapping right, right. Let, over let you. It, let, it, let it flow over you. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Beautiful. Well, we're excited to do that, too. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What? Let the waves come. Oh, out. yeah. Well, we've been doing it. Yes, we have. It's been. Tuesday. Yeah. So. We're we're in we're in the we're about knee deep in the waves. We're, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're knee deep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, this is a very short episode. 
but I think uh, that's, you know, maybe you like longer episodes, but I think that once in a while, you know, short short episodes is also what a person may need. Okay, well, <laughs> now, goodbye. Have a blessed resurrection. Bye.